This is Mike Madrid. And this is Gregory Rodriguez. We're your hosts for Americanata, where we'll be exploring the intersection of race, class, culture, and politics during a time of extraordinary change. We'll be thinking out loud and processing what's on our minds as we go, unfiltered. And we're looking forward to you joining us for this discussion as we explore how we got to this tumultuous moment in the United States. Welcome back and great to be with you again, Gregory. I thought we had an exceptional conversation um, on our last episode. I, I do have to let, I think, you and our listeners know that I was perhaps conflating the concept of immigration a little bit too much with the idea of racism, which I think is a common problem in our particular political vernacular at this time, right? Um, you and you, you did express some frustration about the way that we often talk about race, racism, as being born of intolerance or resistance to difference. But what 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 is wrong with that way of understanding racial conflict? Because it, it's what, what what's wrong with that understanding? Well, I think that the the problem, the way we talk about race, is that it's all about emotions. It's all about you know, intolerance and and acceptance and love even. And it obscures the deeper, I mean, and so the answer is always just, well, you just love your neighbor, that's it, boom. But it obscures the deeper, more difficult, perhaps, reasons why peoples become divided, which is conflicts of interest, right? And, and so race, so there can be pure racism of just simply uh, hatred of people, absolutely. But many times, and perhaps most of the time, race is one weapon, uh, one uh, with which people fight one another, peoples over resources. So, for instance, is the Israeli-Palestinian uh, uh, conflict really purely about religion? Absolutely, of course not. It's also about land, right? So we forget then that. So when we talk about whites. We talk about you know I you know, the, the you know as you know I'm researching a big book on on an emergence of white identity and and and, and I don't want to get in too much into that the specifics of it but the the emergence of, of of different European groups who didn't talk to each other didn't speak the same language didn't have the same religion with in, in many ways was they became an interest group they became an interest group that was fighting off Indians or fighting against Indians to remove them from their land so they could enrich themselves. So whiteness was and is an interest group. And so it isn't simply about loving other people. It's about, so, 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 so then, so what happens is, um, is we often have these, it's the polarism. So, so when you're in conflict with a group, you often seek to dehumanize them in order to justify what you're about to steal from them, right? Justify the hurt you're about to give them and the, the murder you often give them, you, you, you uh, often uh, commit. So, the, so, so anyways, so, so generally, yeah, I, I think we've simplified it into the kumbaya situation and it doesn't get to the brutal aspect that it's about. It's not just about identity and, and acceptance. It's about fighting over land, fighting over resources. So this, and again, to a lot of people, myself included, this sort of sounds like it's a difference without a distinction, but it, it's really not. It's extraordinarily important the way we create racial constructs 
because oftentimes we are competing for resources or feel that somebody's a threat or we manufacture a threat in order to um, better leverage or position ourselves as human beings to, to, to get something. Superior human beings. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so the reason why I think this is so important and why I wanted to talk about this a little bit today is because for the, for, for so much of our history, Actually, that's not a good way to put it. But for so much of, I think, of the common belief of our history is that most of the racial issues and barriers we face are about black and white. When the reality is that is not the case. It's certainly a, 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 a big high profile understanding of America's concept of race, no question about it because of our history and slavery and our original sin, or maybe it wasn't original sin, but 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 this massive One sin. But it is race and the construct of racism is far more nuanced, and it's going to get incredibly more nuanced as we have more of a mixed race society with gradations of race and racism that are, can't be broken down by black and white. Mm-hmm. Right. And as a result, what we are seeing, we're already beginning to see this, is the use of race and racism as a weapon uh, for conformity, for political ostracization, for social ostracization, uh, for leverage of all sorts of things. Um, I think people are much more aware of their own racial identities or the racial identities of others in a, in a, in a, in a, I don't want to say more so than in the past, but in a very unique way because of the way we are, we are, are coming to interact with our own um, concepts of racism as a tool. And may, maybe that, maybe, maybe that's, that last point isn't, isn't quite right. But my point is this, is the more complex and complicated we get, the more the idea that you are suggesting here, which is that racism itself is about leveraging interest as much as it is about a biological hatred of other people. Right is extraordinarily important. Well, you said a lot of there and, and I, I can't really, can't, it's, there's so much there, I can't even know what to tackle. But I'll just say this, the complications of who we are racially in this country have existed uh, for a long time. And uh, I think the way we talk about race is going backwards. So, so, we, we, so that happens sometimes in a polarized nation. So we're polarized, not only politically, we're polarized in the way we talk about race, which is actually, I think the way we talk about race is worse than actually the way race is often lived. I think race is actually more, is, is negotiated in a superior way than, in, than by which we discuss it, right? So um, to give you examples, right? we, we, I've mentioned this, my, uh, this before, our or insistence on reducing vast, uh, let's say, let's say Latinos or Hispanics or whatever the hell you want to call them. This is uh, this is an enormous group uh, who, which didn't exist in, in in popular parlance or even governmental parlance 
50 years ago. There was no sense, there was no word to encompass all these groups. We refer to them as Puerto Rican, uh, Dominican, uh, well, there probably weren't 50 years ago as many, but um, but Mexican-American and so forth. So then the, the, the census search called Spanish-speaking peoples and it became Hispanic, then it became Latino, then whatever the word, so, so and, and then now we just say, then the newspapers say brown, okay? So you take this group, which is multi-generational, multilingual, multiracial, multi-class, geographically everywhere, this enormous group, and you reduce it to a single color. So in my fear, again, I don't know if this is the necessary outcome, in the history of America, as I mentioned, when you're in conflict, and I'm not saying this is the reason we're using Brown is because we're in conflict yet, is that when you reduce people, um, when you the, the variety of people, when you no longer acknowledges the, the, the acknowledge the nuances among people, is when you can say they are X or Y, and good or bad. So the emergence using Native Americans, the emergence of whiteness was happened at the same time as the emergence of the notion that all Indians are red. That all Indians that all Indians are the same. Mm. And once you say that group with which you are competing is all the same, they're all the same. That means they're all bad. They could, that means, that doesn't mean, that means the next step is you can say they're all bad. And so you could see this, a lot of what I'm studying right now is the collapse uh, of what Scott, historians call the middle ground in which Native Americans and European Americans uh, needed each other and therefore, they 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 acknowledged each other's distinctiveness. They, they weren't white yet, right? You spoke to them in German. You spoke to them. You 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 acknowledged the differences of their ethnic origins. So they became white. They became red as they collapsed into a polarization, right? And which um, so 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 what what so I'm I, I think um, that the answer to a lot of uh, uh, the way we talk about race is to talk about it in the way a closer to the nuances that we live. Let me give you an example. Uh, Barack Obama. Barack Obama was mixed. We all know that. But very rarely did he talk about it, right? Very mm -hmm. and, and to me, that was a huge missed opportunity mm -hmm. to talk about a mixed nation, right? We didn't talk about it. And you know, there's probably you know, people have discussed there are political reasons to talk about it, right? right. He won part of he 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 needed a black base from which to begin his rise in, in in politics, and perhaps he didn't want to alienate that black base by talking about his mixture. But that that's a that's just one example by which we didn't talk about we don't talk enough about the complexity of race, and we just reduce it to. Literally, this this vast country, this vast heterogeneous country, becomes literally five groups. So reductionism, I think, is a problem. So is that is that? And again, I know that there will there are, and I hate to always bring this back to the crassness of politics, but I know people will hear that and immediately go to their partisan trenches and say, like Barack Obama couldn't talk about race because white people would have attacked him and. You're not. You're not. You're, what you're. What you're offering is an observation. It's not a criticism, or at least, or maybe it no, is a criticism because we could have, we could have seized that opportunity to discuss the nuances of race, like you mentioned. And I think the broader point is too often, pol politicians and the government need us 
to be in these larger, more amorphous groups for political purposes Precisely. to build votes as opposed to helping us work together as a society by understanding and speaking to our differences. Exactly. They need it. So politics needs us in our corners, if you will. And I am criticizing Barack Obama, not on political, because this is a brilliant man. I've read his biography. Uh, I've read his books. This is a brilliant man with a very well, he's articulated his mixedness. Um, and he could have made the country think about it. And he did mention on a couple of occasions when he, they, they, they adopted a dog early in his presidency. He mentioned he, the dog's like me. He's a mutt. Like he, mm. he playfully acknowledged it, but again, because, but, but politics, you said it perfectly. It just, it requires us to be in our corners because it's, in, it's when we're in our corners, they can leverage us most, right? They can let, they can move us towards something, but the country, um, again, the country's better off uh, than in many ways or more com in, than the way we talk about it. And I, it worries me that we now talk about, you know, that, that we've collapsed, the descendants of a major, you know, world civilization, sort of his, his, his Hispanic Catholicism into the color brown. Um, it worries me. It, 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 it's, it's just one step closer to they're all the same, which is something that you think that we'd want to get out of. But there's a wide swath of Americans who, who, who want precisely that, right? Who are saying you're, uh, being American means not being Mexican hyphen American. And I, I don't want brown or black people. Right. I don't see color, right? It's those for the famous lines, right. right? Which is the, yeah, some of my best friends are black kind right. of line, right? You're it's saying like, that to them being American means not being a color, right? No, I think what they're saying is people, you know, the, the, the more we speak about our differences, the more anti-American you are. Right. And you can't be America. We can't be united as a nation when we're talking yeah, about our but, differences. But again, that's one of the that's one of the more pathological things about uh, about America, that, that, that you that the most powerful nation in the history of the world cannot acknowledge the, its own heterogeneity. Because, it, it, again, it's it, you, that, the, that that argument uh, and yet, yes, it exists, comes from this rather, again, pathological view that the country is so weak. Is the country that weak? that you can imagine heterogeneity. You know, in, in, until the late 19th century, Americans were essentially allowed to live within their ethnic enclaves. They, 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 Wisconsin was a German speaking place. And, uh, there was this allowance assumption of, uh, to allow people to be different and to have their own essentially, um, you know, their, their cultural islands, if you will, that you know, the, the industrialization, uh, the progressive movement, uh, Theodore Roosevelt that led to this notion. So this, this sort of the hyphen, the hyphen it being non-American really was sort of articulated in the early 20th century best by Theodore Roosevelt. Then we became this notion that you had to sacrifice your origins in order to be a real American. I, that, that, you know, we can talk about what I've written about that in another time, but that, that, that was clearly, that clearly led to this empty Americanness that we have now, this post-ethnic empty whiteness uh, from which people are suffering right now. And I don't wanna go down, I'd rather not go down that road on this episode, but I think we've seen that when you take away notions of specialness and the practices, uh, certain cultural practices within those origins and, and sets of meaning within those origins, you're actually often taking away 
people's ability to survive hardship. Now, many, obviously many millions of, of late latter generation white Americans have made that jump into sort of different middle-class norms, but many have not. Um, so I think it's the, the danger that America cannot handle its own heterogeneity is, is bad for Americans. So how do we take the racial, the discussion of race away from the politicians? Ah, wow, that's a really great question. Um, well, I mean, to some extent in the last 50 years, sort of, sort of ethnic racial groups sort of became seen as interest groups, if you will, right? Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the most disdainful things about Washington is that every block is a association representing somebody. There's actually, have you ever walked in DuPont Circle? There's an association of associations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've worked with them before. Oh yeah. my God. Okay. Yeah. Well, then we love them, right? Um, so I don't want to say anything bad about them. Not for them. I've, you know, have to, <laughs> you've had to reach out to un, to, to deal with them I, with association issues. Yeah. That's association just associations, right? It's a real thing. So, so um, I don't know, man. I mean, I mean, we again. This just it's part of your take me to your leaderism in American culture that we needed. That instead of again, it was it's it was it's easier for the media to look in there. Uh, if, let's say that there's, there's an issue involving a, a certain racial or ethnic group. It's inter It's more easier to a reporter to call the head the head Asian. They had black. I mean, some of it's laziness. Some of it's this very colonial, colonialist look view of the world, which is, oh, they must have a chief, right? Right. <laughs> and Take so, me to your leader. <laughs> it's exactly, and and, and so there's there's a level of sort of disenfranchisement in the way we talk about that. So it's always a guy in 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 the Beltway right. who can speak for forty million people. Right. Well, so I mean, that, that's, that's just again the, the shorthand. So, so I, I hate to blame it on the politics. Now we're mentioning journalism, but there is this shorthand that doesn't just do doesn't do justice to uh, to the to, to what the mixture has meant to people. I mean, there are I, I got to say there are these new television shows that are exploring sort of different aspects of blackness. I don't watch a lot of TV, but. Uh, uh, Black a Black AF is that what it's called uh, mm -hmm. on, on Netflix and and Blackish. These are really interesting to me. Uh, these are this is talking about blackness and in, in, in different. One of them's from the point of view of wealth and power, and one of them's the upper middle class. And so that to me is the healthy healthy way of allowing people of all stripes, if you will, to talk about their own multiplicity. Um, right, that the, the differences between every group is vast. And so there's a, what bothers me is the constraining aspect of it, the reduced reductionism. But how do we take it away from politics? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I have no answer to that. Politics kind of needs to reduce us to these groups. Does the, does the fact that there has never been a Latino or Hispanic national spokesperson um, no politician, no civil rights leader. Um, you know, if you if you polled Latinos, polled Hispanics, and I know that that's an issue into itself because it is so amorphous a concept and a term, meaning Hispanic and Latino. But you know, nobody would register with more than five, six, seven percent of a national consensus on who, right. quote unquote, speaks for the community. Because that's what, because of what you just said. Because the concept is little, as a, it's kind of murky in itself. 
and that but, most people, most surveys show that people identify with their ethnic origins way before they do the generic uh, aggregated Latino. Meaning Mexican-Americans are going to say I'm Mexican-American. I'm not. Well, Latino. even when they use the term, even when they use the generic term, they're generally talking about their own group. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a it's a it's when a, when a Cuban American in Miami talks about Hispanics, they're not thinking of, of you, dude. No. I mean, I mean, a Mexican-American talking about Latinos, they're not talking about you know, Cubans. So we, they, they use, they wield the term, you know, very sort of provincially. So, so no, there's, there's, there's no spokesman because there's no group per se and all that. So that's another subject. That's, that's what politics does to reduce and to, to manage uh, a complicated uh, population. It is a point I want to make though, because I think it will help people understand and crystallize because, you know, the 60 page report came out you know, just a couple of days ago from, from Equis Research, uh, which is a great Latino firm, by the way, that does a lot of work with these disparate and divergent communities. 60 pages basically saying all of these groups voted differently and they vote different and there's no really? way to understand any one of them. Really? I know, groundbreaking, right? Yeah. Stuff we've been saying for years, but there is a, there's, it's an important point that there is no national spokesperson for the Latino community because there is no Latino community, community. per se. Period. No, there's no right? community. And so there period. is no, there is somebody who has spent the, you know, the better part of my political career working largely with Mexican American voters in the Southwest and studying voting patterns and the growth of it and what it's meant for governance. I, I'm, you know, don't have much of an expertise in what the hell that means for Miami-Dade County right. and with Cuban and Cuban-Americans any more than I do with Irish descendancy uh, or, or, you know, in Boston right. at the turn so, of the last so century. And, and, but there is this kind of habitual need for the media propelled and fueled by the politicians to kind of say, we need this group, we need this group well, they- to be together. And, and I, I, I do, maybe I'm answering my own question here. What I'm saying is the fact that what we that it is impossible to explain what the Latino vote is because it because doesn't it exist. doesn't exist right, right. is the future. Huh? It's the future way of talking about it. It's the future oh, discourse. I I, it's impossible I, to grasp what the Latino vote is because there's yeah. no such well, thing. I hope it's the future, but you know, I've wrote I, you know, we both been saying this for 25 years. So I've I you know, I've at the age where I no longer optimistic necessarily about the future but let me go backwards and and um it's also one a strategy to i mean let's to be fair right mm-hmm. so different smaller groups uh you have a two percent or five percent of the latino population nationally that you can make yourself part of a larger group right it's 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 it's, it's a political strategy that way but i want to move off politics and it's also national media like uh mm-hmm. So when Antonio Villaraigosa won the, the mayoralty of Los Angeles, Newsweek asked me to write a, a it was a cover story the, um, years ago, but I, it was, this was about Mexican Americans, largely Mexican American candidate, blah, blah, blah. And, but I always had to, have, I had to add the two paragraphs about groups I wasn't studying about at the moment, you know? Um, and that, that's the need of, na- that's again, again, my, my increasing difficulty with national discourse is that it erases the distinctiveness, not only of ethnicity and race, but of region. So, and it, it really doesn't capture uh, what we all really love about the country is less uh, the abstractions and more the specificity of, of our experiences, our, our family experiences and where we live. 
You know, is that so, true? Is that I mean, is that is that is that what we love now? Is that who we are as Americans? No, it's, all, no, it's, all, it's always what we've loved. It's always you know, Nathaniel Hawthorne complained in the uh, shoot uh, very early on that that, that this that the, the country was getting too big. <laughs> that 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 that, that the, what we really what humans love is what they know. You can't love if you live in Southern California and you've left it twice. When you say I love America, what are you talking about? What do you It's an abstraction, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get the into the a, academic, you know, imagined community, but that's what nations are. We know that now. So it and so when you say you love something, you're usually thinking about what you know. Uh, the rest is just a projection, right? The rest is a nation is a projection in our minds, but but what we can feel is what we've experienced. And, the, and so, and, so that's that's one of the difficulties of America, right? Mm -hmm. As the rootlessness, it's 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 historic rootlessness, which is slowing down uh, geographically and otherwise. It's it's absence of tradition or it's disdain for tradition, again, is another cause for this the, the, the emptiness which which we are famous for. Um, Americanato. <laughs> <laughs> it creates the perfect environment for a little kitschiness. Yeah. And for the substitute for culture. materialism. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I think that, but anyways, I think, it, but, but, but back to the generic is also a form of not acknowledging. Um, this week uh, you tweeted uh, one of the funnier uh, political tweets and you didn't do it with a mean spirit. Um, Dr. Jill Biden uh, on at the Cesar Chavez as a national monument on the, the, the anniversary of his birth date uh, in which she could not pronounce si se puede. Uh, she didn't, and none of her staff apparently, and none of them, none of, it was si se puede. And 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 it's and, great, and, by the way. And, 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 and I have, and I have, before I flip it over to you, I have, you know, family members who like love Dr. Jill Biden, right. love Joe Biden, and like, really, right, really. Again, there's a sense of you don't like we don't matter that much. You can't say puede, right. And I, 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 I subtweeted that with oh good grief with exactly that sentiment. It's like I look, I, I, I burned the bridges to work for them to get elected. It's not a criticism in a mean spirited way. It's not a comparison to Melania Trump or the Republicans. But for heaven's sake, come on, you can do, you can at least do that. And it's not offensive. It's just kind of. Right. It's, and I, it's like an unforced error. It's dropping the ball on the five yard line when there's nobody within 30 yards of you. It's like, come on. And I feel that every way that every time the New York Times says Hispanics, every single time I feel that way. And I read a lot of American history. I, I, I feel that way every time a, a scholar at Yale or Harvard says on the Southern Hispanics on the Southern border, like, dude, really? Are we talking Puerto Ricans? Are we talking Cubans? Are we talking Dominicans <laughs> on the Southern border? You can't even be, I mean, there's a sense of laziness. Um, and again, it, 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 we do that to all sorts of groups. This is the one we acknowledge, right? Cause that's our experience. That's who we are, but that in itself, and this is, this is the rise, this is what globalization does, right? It flattens and it makes people all over the world feel that they're being stripped of their distinctiveness, which leads to populism and all sorts of rebellions. And that Beautifully is- spoken. It, Beautifully spoken. Beautifully spoken. And we do that internally in our nation uh, 
at our own peril, I believe. Let, let me kind of recharacterize that because that's, I mean, that's everything, right? Globalization, we think about it in economic terms and American workers competing with other workers around the world and it's why we're losing our place. But what you're saying is the flattening that is happening is also, it's also an identity flattening. We're losing our, our distinctiveness as human beings. We're losing that, that innate part of each one of us that says, I am here, I matter, this is my community, this is my tradition, and it leads to a global populism, it, right? It, because the threat of populism, as many people have heard me talking about for the course of the past couple of years, it's not an American phenomenon. It's not a Western European phenomenon. It is a global phenomenon, right? It's happening in Brazil, for God's sakes, one of the large, India, it's, it, it is everywhere. And the answer is the same reason why the econo economic disruption that is happening in those very same countries is occurring. And we got to start looking at populism as more than just economic anxiety. It is about the loss of identity and in many ways, the loss of, of culture, which is the anchor yes. that holds us and makes us feel like human beings and gives us the sense that we are not alone here. Exactly. Exactly. And that, and that is what moves people as much as, and our hardcore materialism and our academy and our journalism and the way Americans understand the world uh, is, is, is part of it, but it's really genuinely driven, as you said, by uh, the sense that when you're not being respected and the sense to that, what you hold dear uh, is being erased by the flattening of the globe. Do we start to scale culture the same way we've scaled economies? Like, is culture going to go corporate? It already has. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I, Dude, to, I, I, I can tell you, you embellish a little bit more. I, I can tell a softball. Can we? Can we both say? I could tell you that all the big ads of the 1970s, right, that are still seared in my brain. What actually? What country? What company was um, when? Uh, uh, you know, you know what occurred to me? What? Can I interrupt real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, I can't. Like remember eight well years ago, I remember like soccer was just beginning to emerge in America. Like America was just finding, you know, in a bigger way, the media is finding soccer, and all my friends who were baseball and football fans like going to tune into the World Cup, and you know, there's this kind of weird acceptance about America because our American soccer team sucked, right? So we're, you know, we're not anywhere near it, but you're watching this and I'm watching the World Cup game with all of my buddies instead of, you know, normally we gather for the Super Bowl, but it's the same group. And there's just kind of this, this kind of, um, you know, talking about how America will never win the World Cup in our lifetimes and blah, 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 blah. And I'm looking at all of the sponsors and it's like McDonald's, oh. Coca-Cola, yeah. 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 right? It's like, we already won. We already won the game. It's, it's right. just, the whole culture is ours. Right. It may be a different game. It may right. be something where our team isn't competing, but the corporatization of culture right. and what they're selling through the ads that the entire globe is watching right is creating this corporate culture. Let me, before we close out, I want to say something about the, the two things. One thing you said was sort of the, the fear of, 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 of segmentation, whatever you want to call it, or, and then we talk about globalization was the fear of flattening. So if people are to survive globalism everywhere, it actually requires 
the ability, it needs people to allow for multiple identities. Multiple identities is how people get through the flattening. Mm. So you have to, you can say, I am a Swedish American, I'm a Minnesotan, I'm an American, and oh, I'm, a, I'm a Lutheran or whatever. So, so this, so the need to be more flexible and allow people to identify because that's what we do. We do identify. I, I was in I was in Italy. Well, actually, the same trip where uh, I was told about Americanata. Uh, somebody came. I was sent by the State Department to talk about American identity, and and somebody came up to me and said, "Are you a Chicano or a Latino?" And I said, "Well, it, first of all, it depends who I'm talking to." And I said, "But primarily, I'm probably an asthmatic." And I <laughs> and I'm probably you know first mexican-american and and then maybe i'm you know and then but that maybe next day but again that's how humans are so i think it's the hierarchy so, of your identity is what you were trying that, to that's how we are yeah that's what that's but that's how we live that's how modern people live and the way we talk about it doesn't allow for it and then again this neediness of america that the fragility of america doesn't allow for it but to survive the because globalization is not going to go away pandemic or not right. to survive it we must allow for these multiple identities to flourish at the same time and at different levels for for everyone what a fantastic conversation gregory great talking to you let's do it again thanks bud talk to you soon Thanks again for visiting with Gregory Rodriguez and Mike Madrid on this episode of Americanata. If you've enjoyed the discussion, please help us out, share, review, and give us five stars. We'll talk to you next episode.